Welcome to the Armchair Trader podcast. It's our first podcast of 2023. So happy new year to all our regular listeners. And um, what I wanted to do this year is kick off with a look at uh, the state of play in international financial markets, um, just to see where we are as we go into January. We, on our last episode, we were talking a lot about um, uh, 2022 in perspective. It's probably a year a lot of uh, investors will be in a rush to forget about. Um, but what really lies ahead? Um, so on, on the show today, we have all the way from Dubai, uh, Wael Makarem, who joins us from Exnes. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit about the state of play in financial markets and, and some of the expectations for the next few months. Um, welcome to the show, Wael. It's lovely being here. Thank you, Stuart. Um, so we've got quite a lot of ground to cover on this, um, but um, and we're working off a list that I drew up um, just before Christmas and financial markets being what they are. Uh, they're pretty fast moving. Um, but back at the sort of towards the end of December, uh, one of the big stories was obviously the collapse of FTX. Um, and that was dominating the headlines um, on the financial press. Um, a lot of questions were being asked about um, the entire sort of cryptocurrency asset class, um, whether it was really going to survive a disaster of that kind of scale. Um, from your perspective, do you think crypto can come back this year or, or do you think it's it's all over with, with the collapse of FTX? Uh, actually, there's a lot to, to, to look at. Uh, if we want to dissect just the crypto market itself or the factors considering crypto as uh, similar, like affected by uh, general uh, uh, general market decisions like, like other asset classes. So if we just want to talk about crypto market itself, as you know, all these events that took place last year, as you mentioned, FTX, one of them, Luna collapsed back in May. All these, they did hit really investor sentiment and even trader sentiment. And now people, they're lacking a bit of trust and all these exchanges just going bankrupt or just these uh, fund management uh, or, or funds just uh, losing all this credibility. This is definitely hurting the industry itself. This is when it comes to the crypto industry itself we're not finding a bit of optimism to investors or confidence in the market. And this needs a bit of more time to just restore it. And this could happen through regulations and all that, which also affect the real purpose of having crypto or uh, uh, this market. When it comes to considering crypto similar to other asset classes or affected by any other reasons, such as the monetary policy, it isn't that easy uh, what's happening. We've seen interest rates rising significantly last year. Last year, we were talking earlier last year, we were talking about Tina. There is no alternative to stock market or to at least risky investments that, that once was one of them crypto markets. Uh, but now you have interest rates rising. You have bonds that higher, all, all institutions, big banks, uh, even uh, large investors. They're just looking to secure some uh, some gains. And now with interest rates higher, this is considering another alternative for them. If we just want to consider crypto as a risky investment during such times investors do lack interest in investing in risky investments and even we've seen also stock markets they were collapsing last year so as a trader just if you put yourself in an investor or a trader situation if you feel like there is a stress in the market interest rates could rise further you need to be more careful about your funds about where you invest what are the chances that you go into risky investments 
However, when you start seeing a little bit of a possible twist in the market or in this situation, what the Federal Reserve could be doing, what other central banks could be doing, just easing these pressures, that would allow you to take a little bit more risk and then you would be considering risky investments. If you've seen the market for the past two weeks as risk sentiment a little bit improved with the market just stabilizing about the top where the Federal Reserve could be setting its interest rates, We've seen a bit of movement in crypto markets. We've seen Bitcoin rallying a little bit towards 17,500. We've seen Ethereum rising a little towards 1350. So this is showing that there is a bit of a potential, but first you need confidence in the industry to be restored. And then you need a little bit of improvement in the general sentiment globally. It feels almost as if there are two, there are two forces at play here within crypto markets. On the one hand, as you say, the FTX collapse has, has Called a, lot, called a lot into question in terms of the actual infrastructure of the market, who the counterparties are, where the transparency is. And that, that's the subject for a whole different podcast. But at the same time, there was a lot of talk, um, and you'll remember this as well, um, if we think back to 2021, how crypto markets were going to be uncorrelated from mainstream financial markets. Bitcoin was going to be the new hedge. We weren't going to need gold anymore. Do you think that you know, you're talking here about investor sentiment as well? It sounds to me like crypto is starting to look a lot more correlated to other markets. Um, and, and that that's sort of undermined that diversification case. Actually, what we've seen for crypto was really uh, correlated with Nasdaq or with tech stocks, which are usually uh, of, of a high risk. So this is what we've seen, especially last year. Uh, however, if we just want to compare, I, I've never considered actually Bitcoin as a hedge, despite Despite Bitcoin, Bitcoin rallying significantly for the past 10 years or being the top performer or all that, when you want to consider a hedge, it's, what are you hedging for? You're hedging just for your risks. However, in a certain uh, market frame, if you know what could be the best performing asset or at least the top performing assets for that, con- for that uh, considerable moment in the economy, this is what I believe is your good hedge. So last year, the good hedge was just going into cash instruments. The prior year, it was the best hedge was just getting into the stock market and gaining all these rallies. This year, it could be a little bit shaky going forward. So this is what I what I really consider as a hedge. With crypto markets being such uh, volatile, someone could have pros and cons for just investing in Bitcoin as a hedge for for certain risks. And even even for gold, like you've mentioned, gold. From my own perspective, also gold isn't considered like a proper safe haven if I want to. Uh, take it that way from th- those who bought gold in 2011 late 2011 it took them like nine years to see again their break even so when it comes to considering bitcoin as a hedge uh i believe it could be a hedge when we're in a bull market when you're in a bear market definitely it's not a hedge so uh, you've mentioned gold and that was something i wanted to talk about as well um gold seems to be uh, on a little bit of a rally right now um what do you think's driving that and and do you think that that's that is buying being caused by worries about um just generic global inflation uh it looks to me like also there's a lot of central bank buying going on there's been some speculation in the ft about the fact that some central banks are looking to get sort of diversify themselves out of the us dollar system because of the sanctions on russia what what do you think's driving this gold price right now Actually, you, you did point one of, the, uh, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about. Actually, if we want to look at what were the movers uh, for the past few months, actually, we need to just 
separate them into two. One of them, the reason that you talked about, like central banks, they are more keen now to diversify their holdings, just try to stay a little bit away from the US dollar. Not 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 completely away, but just at least diversify it. And we've seen this happening. Uh, central banks, both in the third quarter, at, at their biggest or highest pace since 1967. And this was tremendous. They've been buying for three consecutive quarters. And even some data show that the fourth quarter also was net buying. And if you see also uh, the latest headlines from China, they were buying significantly lately. So this was one of the supporting factors. Another one is just setting, when, a, when you set a certain expectation that interest rates will not rise above 5% in the US, this is also is giving a little bit of a room for uh, for these investments to move. As we know, investors do look for real yields. And when interest rates go higher or uh, treasury yields go higher, this is, an, in fact, is, is a downside for non-yielding gold bullion. However, when you feel like, okay, there is no more room for these interest rates to move higher, but there is room to speculate on gold's price. So this is also one, one thing to take into consideration. I believe if uh, the Federal Reserve would go above 5%, which is very likely, and the market would move to change a little bit on what, what it is currently pricing, gold could see another pressure. If interest rates peak at 5% and this is it, and then the dollar will face another pressure going down, gold prices could rally again towards 19.25 at least, and then maybe we could reach us 2,000. So this is being the case just where interest rates could be set. Along that, definitely what you've been mentioning about central banks buying. And as we're on the subject of commodities, um, uh, it'd be great to get your perspective on the oil price. That was that was a great trade in um, 2022. Um, based in the Middle East, uh, you're probably closer to the action than a lot of us are. Where do you think oil is going uh, this year? And is it is it something worth um, traders keeping tabs on on both long side or short side? Actually, it's very uh, interesting market. Energy markets have been very interesting in the past few months, especially with all this spare capacity being lost. So as you as you heard from, from all OPEC producers, from all producers around the world, we're lacking capacity. And even from top, top, top producers, we just if we want to mention Saudi Arabia or the UAE, we just have a little bit of capacity. And this put us in a certain risk all the time. If something happens anywhere in the world that could hit 1 million, at least in production, this could trigger a, a frenzy to the upside. We could be seeing oil prices rallying at least 10% on just the headline. The market is very tight. We've been seeing demand going on. However, there are some fears that the slowdown could drop a little bit demand. But let's not forget that China is reopening again. The tri- we're trying to move in the, in the right direction. If we just look at the, uh, at the, uh, the fares activity in, in China, they're just 75% of where they were back in 2019. So imagine we go back to 90%. OPEC was trying to at least teach uh, consumers to to uh, to perform with lower demand for oil, at least give them a little bit of room in case something happens to supplies. We just at least could could avoid any sudden increase in prices. Let's imagine you're 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 supplying at hundred uh, full capacity, hundred percent, and you are demanding this hundred percent. So if something happens to, to capacity, to supplies, and we have to go to 98% while you're still demanding 100%, imagine what happens to prices. But if I teach you to go for 90, 95% demand of what I can uh, provide you fully, this could always give, keep uh, a room if something wrong happens to supplies. At least I have 5% capacity that could replace any mistake that could happen from the supply side. So this is why it's very tight to look at oil prices this year, especially with all these tensions happening around the world. 
So we need to keep an eye on it. When it comes to price levels, I believe we're seeing a little bit of a balance for the past few weeks, close to $75 a barrel. Uh, producers are, are are a bit happy with, with that price compared to the previous years, while also not, not mentioning last year and, and uh, the one ahead. And consumers are a little bit also relieved with oil prices going back below 100 and below $80 a barrel. So we're finding a little bit of balance. However, this balance could trigger further actions if it was bre- breached. So if oil prices move south again, if we drop below 70, this could trigger a little bit of a move maybe from OPEC producers. We could see a drop in production and then oil prices could rally a little bit higher. One of the tail risks, if something happens to supply, we could easily be seeing gold oil prices rising above 90. And when I was when I was working on my sort of list of discussion points to, to raise with you today, um, just before Christmas, one of the big stories was the fact that um, the European Central Bank was um, starting to tighten up a little bit more um, and, and really seemed to have surprised um, euro traders at that point. What, where do you see monetary policy going with, with um, the eurozone and also with the US um, over the next few months? Yeah, that's an amazing question. Actually, when it comes to the ECB, Christine Lagarde surprised everyone in the last uh, press conference for the year. She was very hawkish, said that, that they're going to at least raise interest rates two times by 50 basis points uh, going into 2023, while the market is just expecting 225 basis points from the Federal Reserve. This puts us in a certain divergence. However, what I'm a little bit afraid of is the rising yields in uh in in in, uh, in high indebted countries like italy like spain and these countries if we look at 10-year yields how they jumped when just the ecb announced they could be they they would be starting uh easing off their balance sheet in march uh interest rates could rise further so now we're around four we, we reached around 4.6 for italy for the 10-year yields and we know if interest rates would move higher and these yields would move above five, six percent, this would put some pressures fiscally. So this is what the ECB should take care of, the fragmentation risk that we were afraid of in the late uh, late last year. When it comes to uh, the economic factors, definitely we're in a better shape. We're seeing a little bit winter is a bit of a more merciful on European countries than, than was afraid of. So uh, this is putting some relief. We're seeing this relief coming to stock markets even. We've seen the German stocks rallying for the past couple of days. So uh, when it comes to to the headwinds, the ECB could be raising uh, additionally. However, they're also keen to keep uh, some growth. And we know like what there's a there's a quite difference between the inflation in the US and inflation in the EU. Inflation in the US is coming from part of it was from supply side, but also a big part of it was from strong demand. When it comes to the European Union or the Eurozone, we've seen a lot of this inflation coming just from higher commodity prices, knowing that top countries, they're just uh, uh, net importers of commodities. So when we see a drop in commodity prices, when we see a little bit of improvement in the euro price, making imports less costly, this could put the economic uh, activity back in, in a bit of a good shape. But also the ECB doesn't want to really tighten that much to hurt uh, to hurt activity for, uh, for for years to come. When it comes to the Federal Reserve, I believe we should at least go above 5%. Maybe we could hit 5.5%. The inflation would, would, would seem more sticky uh, for the Fed to just take rid of. The market is just pricing two interest rate hikes this year, and then we stay steady till December, and then we drop around two full percentage points towards 2025. And this is a very uh, a very dovish uh, expectation relative to what 
Fed officials were just hinting for. So when we just go to, when we reach a point where the market really understands that the Fed uh, would have to go above 5%, this could come back with a bit of strength to the US dollar. We've seen some some big momentum trades in the Forex markets last year um, that seemed to be like the gift that just kept on giving. Um, do you think that that's going to be, we'll see another year of that with some big moves or, or is, there gonna, is, the, is it going to be a lot more choppy with a lot more volatility if, if we see a break in that sort of synchronization between the central banks? Yeah, actually, we what I believe we, we, we shouldn't be seeing like a proper trend like last year. What we can see is more of what you said, the choppy trading and more volatility. Because this trend came in from a fact that the, that the Federal Reserve went ahead of, of the ECB, for example, in tightening monetary policy. And then since the ECB was a laggard, this made the difference in, in, in yields. So we had this yield differential that played in favor of the dollar against the euro. And also we had the situation in Europe, the war on Ukraine which had also impacted the euro. If we come to just check these reasons this year or check to check these uh, factors this year, the ECB is trying to catch up. The Federal Reserve is trying to slow the pace a little. So this is uh, narrowing the differential a little bit, while also we have some other risks that could, could prevail. So this uncertainty on where interest rates could go in middle 2023 could create this choppy trading and not a clear directional trade. What I'm just betting on this year is just any a piece of data that really would twist the market into thinking the Fed is not afraid of raising interest rates further, the US economy is more solid than the market is anticipating, then we can really understand or start speculating that the US economy could hold or could interact with these high interest rates in a better situation than the European economy. And then we, we would start thinking who would decrease interest rates faster. Is it the ECB or the Federal Reserve? then we will have maybe uh, some significant trend moves. And speaking of significant trend moves, um, again, another another central bank that was surprising in December was Japan. Um, they'd obviously been, the, the Bank of Japan had been a little bit out of step of the uh, other central banks. Um, indications now that they may they may now be um, start, starting to finally turn the corner and do some tightening of their own. Um, do you think that that's real? And do you think that will translate into some big moves in the yen against the dollar this year? Actually, what hap- what's happening in Japan is just like cost pull inflation put some pressure on, on consumers. We've seen CPI rising towards its highest level since 40 years. And this is a bit, uh, the, the Bank of Japan is a bit relaxed on the, a bit chilled. You know, since 2003, the Bank of Japan is trying to fight deflation and they're doing this through different policy acts. It's recently just doing all this year yield curve control. However, at a time when you have a big difference between your uh, markets and the rest of the world, this would definitely weigh on the functionality of the market. So this is what the what the Bank of Japan is trying to uh, to to deal with. Imagine like the rest of the world is at least giving you a four percent, while the Bank of Japan would give you zero point five percent, or the, the the bonds in, in Japan they would give you zero point five percent, while in the rest of the world at least if you invest in one. Uh, one month uh, T-bill in the States, you get 4%. So this is weighing on the functionality, on the uh, attractiveness of Japan's debt. So we ended up in a situation where there is a debt monetization, where the Bank of Japan is buying almost all the debt to try to uh, to support the government with its spending and all that. And this is definitely not what the market functionality is. So they're trying to fix at least this to do some adaptations. While also they can't 
move a little bit uh, uh, in a faster manner on 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 uh, raising their yield curve control. So they're in a bit of a tight situation. I believe uh, the the Bank of Japan won't have any. Uh, if we're continuing in this tightening cycle globally, if the Federal Reserve would go above 5%, ECB would tighten above 3.5%. If we're seeing these levels, the Bank of Japan can't keep with this ultra-loose monetary policy, else we would be seeing the ZJPY back above 150. And this would definitely cost them more in intervening to try to ease the the, the, the yen's uh, drop. But if uh, central banks are forced there's something that could happen that could crush the, the global economy and central banks are forced to ease in a very, very fast manner or drop interest rates fastly. This would play in favor of the Bank of Japan because they avoided this tightening cycle and they caught up with the, what's happening on the economy, on the economic stand by keeping their monetary policy loose. So this would be in the favor of Japanese yen on, behalf, on, on, on other currencies. On the back of other currencies. I wanted to also um, just quickly get back to something that you mentioned earlier on in the podcast, which was China. We were talking about the oil price and the impact that China reopening after its zero COVID policy could have on that oil price. Do you think, looking at China itself, it's it's had a very it's had this zero COVID policy um, in place for quite some time now. Um, that's created a lot of disruption for the the Chinese economy itself. Um, but we're obviously really aware of how important that economy is to the rest of the world and to the way financial markets work right now. It seems that the pandemic or the, the COVID virus is spreading quite quickly in China. But at the same time, people are starting to travel. China looks like it's opening up. From your perspective, do you think China represents a risk or do you think it represents an opportunity from, from the perspective of traders? Actually, there's pros and cons for, for what's happening in China. Like, like uh, that, That's the case for, for everything that happens in the markets. If we look at the pros, definitely there is a pent-up spending that's been there for like a, a year or more. And this spending is, need, is well needed in the global economy. So we've, we've seen a lot of uh, traveling expectations during... Uh, uh, the, the the coming new year, like in, in in ten days, Chinese New Year. So so this could be a little bit of a supportive for uh, for the economic activity in the rest of the world. While also what what's uh, what's a little bit we a little bit shaky, or we could be really afraid of is this the this pent up spending will also create significant demand, and if this demand affects significantly commodities. This would fuel a second round of inflation. So this is what we don't want. We don't want another round of inflation to kick in because it's going to be uh, disastrous for, for central banks to deal with and for consumers to try to also intercept. So uh, definitely we need this uh, reopening in China. We need all these supply disruptions to just drop as much as they can. We need more uh, productivity and, 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 more and less disruptions. But also we need to just keep an eye on the, the possible push in price that this reopening could be doing. Uh, it's good for the general uh, global sentiment, if we, if we want to take it into that perspective. Definitely China needs it. Uh, they need to put their economy back on track. We, uh, they've been suffering for a while. Uh, we've seen a significant drop in GDP. So it, it, it isn't as much as they're expecting or they were expecting. So from, if we look at the fiscal perspective, uh, they're trying to support whatever sectors, uh, you name it, from real estate to others. 
for all these crackdowns that took place prior on tech and, and, and different sectors, they're trying to a little bit ease these stresses. When it comes to the People Bank of China, they're doing what's needed in terms of liquidity. They're trying to push as much liquidity to the markets to keep them well well equipped. And also they, they have more room to act on uh, either reserve requirement ratio or if we want to talk into interest rates. So they have room to support the economy. What they should take care of is to keep inflation at bay. They don't want CPI to rise above 3 4% while they're easing also their monetary policy. So this is also... Uh, the, the zero COVID policy or the lockdowns that they were doing, it served a little bit in this space. It kept CPI and pay where we're, we're slightly below 2%. And this is supportive to the trajectory that the People Bank of China is taking by using their monetary policy. And just finally, um, given that you're based in Dubai, I wanted to um, ask you about the state of the uh, Middle East markets as well. Uh, we have seen, for example, the IPO market in the UK has gone very quiet last year. Um, very little new issues coming onto the market. Uh, it's been very muted. But I've, I've noticed from looking at the global IPO market um, that um, certainly the Gulf is looking extremely buoyant and there's been a lot of uh, successful activity in the local markets. What's driving that? And what's your overall sentiment about the, the regional markets as well? Yeah, actually, we had uh, we had significant IPOs this year, especially in the UAE and in Saudi Arabia. This was was supported by diff- or fueled by different factors. One of them, let's not forget that earlier this earlier last year we had high oil prices, which really benefit governments. Let's not forget that governments are also trying their much as much as they can to spend in the economy to improve the economy to diversify the returns from the economy. So they're doing what's needed to. Uh, to sustain the economic growth that we've been seeing post-COVID. And and this definitely triggered investors either locally and even internationally. So international investors do believe there are some opportunities here, especially with oil prices remaining at their high levels. So this is one of the supportive factors. But also if we're looking looking into 20... And also another factor that was supportive, for example, in the UAE was just uh, announcing the IPOs for these uh, uh, government-backed companies. And, and and these were uh, these were real uh, real success to uh, to the stock markets here. If we want to look at the general picture going into twenty twenty three, in the end we are part of this world. Interest rates rose around the world, and also they are rising here. Central banks here are rising interest rates, are raising interest rates, similar to what the Fed is doing, and this is creating alternative to investors than just um, investing in the stock market itself. So definitely we're gonna feed, feel the heat. We started feeling the heat. Since uh, since May, when oil prices started to go lower and uh, and interest rates moved higher and higher, so this definitely created uncertainty to investors, a bit of fear. So now investors they're just a little bit reluctant whether they want to invest in stocks, whether they just go into CDs, or this is what what what's a bit uh, shaky. So what we what we care about uh, 2023 is trust, try to sustain. Uh, at least the economic growth that we've been having recently to to pass this uh, uh, the situation that's happening around the world. If we if we manage to to cross 2023 with less uh, with less drawdowns, this could be really promising for uh, for the GCC in general going into the few years to come. And my impression of of the GCC is always, I mean, traditionally there were a lot of investors in the GCC uh, countries tends to look abroad, buying assets or trading markets overseas. 
but I get I get this impression that there's now more opportunities for them from a from an active trading, active investing perspective, locally as well. There's more uh, the the stock markets are becoming more mature. There's more opportunities there for for local traders that just weren't there say ten years ago. Yes, of course, and this we started seeing this pattern starting post COVID. So imagine COVID lockdowns all. Uh, all inv- local investors they they used to to travel to to do whatever around the world so they were almost busy most of the time so when lockdowns took place when this uh, when all the world was on lockdown this gave a little bit more uh, time for investors to try to look what's happening in the markets and the rally that happened during these years whether late 2020 or in 2021 this just uh, created more interest to to local investors and the volatility that took place was also supportive. As you mentioned, there were like significant flows from international investors, more interest, which which really uh, made these uh, stock markets more appealing to investors. These moves that took place, mentioning the TASI uh, uh, in, in 20, performance in 2021, ADX last year. So, so they were among the top performers. There are some companies that really were uh, very rewarding to investors. So uh, as long as we're going into a little bit of maturing, when it comes to to the stock market, this is creating more credibility and more interest to investors. Definitely, there should be more uh, uh, more ways to improve uh, investing in the MENA region or in the GCC stock markets. But I believe uh, regulators are working on it to just try to match uh, world standards. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on the show. And sorry that we bounced across so many different topics today, but there was a lot of ground to cover. Yeah, it's a pleasure, actually. And I really enjoyed the, the, this uh, discussion. There's a lot to uh, to talk about uh, in these endless markets, and especially since this 2023 year is a, is a, is a year where... Uh, a lot could be happening where it just could be uh, facing a lot of opportunities and uh, definitely everyone wants to be more informed about it. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.